You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 168 of Drinks with Tony with my guest Daphne Gottlieb. And her new book is called Saint 1001. I had David S. Wills a few weeks ago on the podcast and we chatted about uh, Murakami because he's doing a whole book about his work. And I was like, I am not a fan of that author. And this is where everything I love about doing this show comes together. Full circle, hero's journey, Pythagorean theorem, God and Satan. Here's where everything comes together. I never in my life thought I would pick up Mirakami again. I gave one Q84 a try and I was like, why? I don't care. Boom. My mind was made up. But Will said, give it another try, man. So he suggested the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. And I did. And now I'm on page 150 and I love it. Adore it, actually. I'm loving it. I'm now a Murakami fan. This is why I do this, because I love novels and storytelling and talking with writers and writers telling me I'm wrong as about a writer. And I ask, why am I wrong? And they tell me, and I do the research on my own, and I fall in love all over again with the written word. How many times can a person fall in love with a novel? The formula is infinity. In life, we love people. Then we decide you know what? I want to love this person for life. So we get married or just decide you're it, babe. In the world of storytelling, we have, we get to have intimate conversations with authors every time we pick up a novel. And sometimes we fall in love with the book and the author. And it's not even adultery. It's encouraged. You can be in a monogamous relationship and have a total book orgy happening all the time. But you'll still never get me to like Infinite Chess. I still can't get my head wrapped around that one. No love for David Foster Wallace. But if I end up in a relationship with a woman who loves David Foster Wallace, she's welcome to orgy with him in her own room, on her own bookshelf, with her own time. I'm sure there'll be authors she doesn't like that I'm orgying with as well. But Marikami, I'm in. I'm a changed man. Some of you may fall in love with Daphne Gottlieb. Hi, this is Daphne Gottlieb and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Daphne Gottlieb. Her new book is called Saint 1001. Daphne, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Tony? Good. Now, do I say 1001 or do I say 1001 or do I say 1001? How do, how do I say this? You know, it's, it's fine any way you want to say it as long as you say it. I say 1001. Now, now, if the author says it was 1001, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm so stoked you have a new book out. It was so great to see it. And I didn't read the whole thing. I read part of it and I was just like, oh, it's 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 I felt like I was talking with you again. Like it, it was crazy. It was great. 
I was talking to you. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> well, no, it was because it, I haven't seen you in so long. And I, and I, you know, and then last time I, I've read a book by you, it's been a while. And then I, and then all of a sudden I was like, I'm back in Daphne's head. It, it was kind of cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, all writing is autobiography and, and this is fiction, but I think that no matter who you are, your voice is going to come through in what you write. So I think that's true. Yeah. Well, I, I, and also that shows that you're, you, it's a crafting thing too. You, you're, you know, um, I, I think we hone our voice and then the voice is just there. We've done it for long enough. Um, so it's, and, you know, it doesn't change. No, I mean, I think that that's the grace note of getting older is, uh, and I, I felt that very much when I started this book was that it's like playing darts when you hit that sweet spot because you've been trying to do it for years. And it's like, wow, I finally grown the muscles that I wanted to in order to be able to do that. And I felt that really strongly, like I did what I meant to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you did. I, um, I, I, it was funny because I was I was email I emailed you this morning and I was I did an email search and our we had an email conversation in my search from 2007 when uh, you did a reading for Cherry Bleeds I believe <laughs> back in the Mission District I'm like and 2007 sounds like yesterday and then I think about it and I'm like that's that's what 14 years ago something like that it's crazy I was in my 30s for the last time I <laughs> What the hell? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just, I just, can't so I just adore the seeing you. What's that? I just can't comment on the passage of time. It's, it's yeah. no one warned me. But yeah. that's kind of what I have to say about it is no one warned me it was going to be like this. And yeah. <laughs> It's difficult. Warned, Aging is difficult. What warned you in that it's um that it's that the road is long or that it goes so fast or that it fe it feels like it's sometimes it's long and sometimes it's too fast? I think that all the choices you made before now sort of circumscribe the possibilities that are going forward. So if you didn't stay for retirement in your 20s, you got less now. If you moved to Maui and dropped out of high school, maybe you can't get the job that you want now. Um, sort of things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because the choices start to become limited. Because I'd love to become an underwear model for Hanes, but they're not looking for guys like me right now. So I could have, you know. They should be. <laughs> no, no, no. We I want would love that campaign. We want people to buy the product. <laughs> It would be so great. See, I would buy that product. Be like, finally, a human being who no. wears underwear. <laughs> who am I kidding? I don't wear underwear. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, um, I think that's what I love about, um, you know, lucked out on, a, you know, not being an underwear model because there's a shelf life on that. But wow, being a writer, the kind of the shelf life on it is um, you might die in your 90s and you could still write you know yes except now it's a question of are you telegenic are you young are you the fresh young thing that you can be marketed in a certain way um 
Yeah, I, I mean, there's that, you know, as well as I do, that that mid-career novelist who can't sell something, right? Oh, I know it very well. <laughs> <laughs> the trope, the, the trope. But at the same time, when I read, um, when I read younger authors, I can, there's, you know, oh yeah, they may look pretty on a book. They may look pretty sitting in a chair next to Oprah as Oprah gives her, her soft eyes. Like I understand you. And she's, you know, and, and the money clock is just ticking in her brain or whatever, right. what's whatever's in that brain. But, um, the, um, but when you read an author who actually has experience and time in the craft, there's a different conversation I have as a reader. I'm, I'm experiencing it in a different way. So um, I, I feel like if we, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, Hey, if, if there's a six figure deal for a 25 year old, great. If, if the, if there's something for a 55 year old, great. I don't, I don't care. I just, it, what's great is what in the end, what's on the page is on the page. And I'm not looking at the photo for, six hours i'm reading the words for six hours and that's kind of the beauty of it you know yeah no I mean, am i am i being, uh, am probably, I being too I, positive i'm usually I'm the negative one here <laughs> i'm probably just making excuses tony really <laughs> well how long has this book been out a couple weeks yeah i and um and it's what's been, what's the process been like because you've put out a lot of books and you've had you know you've done book tours weren't you on sister spit too back in the day yeah, yeah back in the day yeah back in the yonders was sister spit in the 90s yeah wow um the process was like anywhere else you know you you send it out you get a load of cheers back and you find someone finally, hopefully who wants to work with you. And you go through the sort of negotiations of, no, I don't like that. Yes, I like that. And then they page it and you look through the galleys and you say, okay, I like that. I don't like that. And then it comes out after you bicker over the co cover. <laughs> and, and, and how much bickering on this cover was there? Not a whole lot. Um, I had sort of strong feelings about the cover and they let me dick around until I found something that I liked. And so it's my first cover design. Oh, cool. Oh, you designed it? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I you know, I, I still have the image of fi Final Girl. When did that come out? Like 2004? I, I still have that in my head. 2002. Oh, wow. 2003. Yeah. So now, so were you able to do any book, were any readings when uh, on book release, or what? 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 What happened on this book release of the of um, Saint One Thousand and One? We did a really really fun event in SF um, at Eros, which is the men's bathhouse. I don't know if you remember it or not mm -mm. on Market Street. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there used to be a really really great open mic there called Fetch, which was hosted by Lynn Breedlove and Kirk Reed. And um, so there's precedent, um, but it was great. There was a big, big painting of guys touching their dicks behind me as I read and the other readers also. Um, and it was standing room, it was really, really great. And then we did a show in Oakland also at the Legionnaire's bar, which is my new favorite bar because they have Narcan on the counter 
and safe uh, safe kits, clean kits at the side of the bar for anyone who needs them. So oh wait, so Narcan is if you're overdosing, is that correct? Yep, it's for opiate overdoses. Wow. So does that is that something that happens at at bars, or is it is it something where somebody can go? Oh, I know where to get one, um, or they could take them home. How does that work? Yeah, they can take them home. I think it's well. I know someone who uses opiates, or I use opiates, and I want to be safe. And I only have one in the house. Let me get another one because sometimes it takes two. Oh, okay. Have you ever had to use one? Um. I have not. I've been really lucky. Um, everyone who I have worried about has come around when the medics have come. So. Yeah, yeah. Or before the medics have come. Right. Interesting. So they, and then what was the other thing you said they have at this bar? Clean kits. What's it called? Clean kits? Uh-huh. What is that? Um, alcohol pads, sterile water, um, cookers, um, Twist ties, um, vitamin C, um, tourniquets. Um, sometimes they've got sharps. Huh. I mean, and what and what's that for? Is that I mean, is that for a bar fight or <laughs> in case a bar fight happens, we have you taken care of? <laughs> That's so that you can shoot up safely rather than use dirty. Oh, dirty okay. Oh, it's for the needles. Equipment. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it makes so much. It, it, I mean, I wish they would just legalize everything because it would make so it would it would make safety so much easier too. And work for Peru. What's that? It worked for Peru. Peru? Did they Peru. legalized everything? Pretty much, yeah. And or then, they decriminalized everything. I don't know. I don't. Right. I'm not as well read on this as I should be. But. No, the decriminalization of it is. I guess that's what the important thing is. Because I mean, I think there's still people in, rotting in jail because of a pot charge, right? And but now it's all legal. It's nuts. So that makes sense. I'd be a little. Um, I mean, personally, if I was going to a bar and they had uh, that, I, I've never seen that, and I'd be a little uh, worried that. Um, I wouldn't drink enough. <laughs> I was I was that I was in a place that I really need to party. I don't think that most people use opiates in bars while they're partying. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's for the after party. Oh, that makes oh man. Yeah, when I lived in the tenderloin. And I'd go see bands and stuff, and I wouldn't come home till six a.m. because it's all after the bars go out. You always know the um, the people who have the open door apartments and um, and hang or out. Pre-party. Yeah, the pre party too. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I now now last time I saw you, you weren't drinking though. This was many years ago, right? Do you now, did you do you start drinking again? Um. I think that I haven't seen this is like 20 years ago. I'm bringing up history. It's like 20 years. Daphne, it's been so long since I've seen you. Catch me up on all your intimate personal details. (laughs) um, I'm not really orthodox about anything, but um, I don't really drink. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's funny. And then, um, but then uh, it's, but uh, I know a lot of people who started smoking uh, again during COVID. And I even, smoke you know i used to smoke like one cigar uh once a month and now i have like three a week 
uh, since COVID started. I'm like, you know what? I'm indulging in this because we're all going to die. I guess it's, there's a lot of fear in the air. So I think that, what do I think? I think that's a really, really common reaction. I mean, it's a control reaction. Like I can't, I can't control when or if I'm going to get COVID, but I can foreclose the question of my own death, you know, and I don't think it's that obvious that, that, but I think it's down there. I think it's definitely down there. Yeah. Cause, cause it's, yeah, that makes sense. Cause especially with all this stuff, we, um, it's almost like we've lost a lot of control in our lives. So what can we control? And um, yeah, I mean, I know I have my control issues. Like even when I go outside now, it's, it's so different to like just walk amongst the humans, you know, because it's just like, oh, now, now, we, now we've been faced with it. And now I have to pretend like things are kind of okay. But in my head, I'm still fearful and I got a lot of fear. And then people around us react and they, their fear turns into anger or something. And we have to like almost have an empathy and go, wait a second, they're just scared. And that's why they're screaming. You know, it's, I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if your experience varies. That's been my experience. Now there's Omicron. I'm sorry. And now there's Omicron. Isn't that the right name? The new variant. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard it out loud. I've only seen it read. Oh, that's it's Omicron. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to do when they say there's a new variant. It's come to the point where I don't even it's the um, I wish I, I, I'm it's driving me crazy in this human collective narrative that people are absolute about what needs to be done. But if we go back three months, the absolute was very different. And if we go back three months before that, the absolute was very different. And I'm like, can you guys just say, we're not sure about this, but this seems to be the best and this and this. Can anyone just say they're not too sure, but I've done some work and here's what I think. I don't think that works from a public policy standpoint, probably. I think that the presumption of authority, the pretense of authority is probably important. Yeah, I, 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 I like my authority to go, I wish I knew, but <laughs> how about drink lemon water in the morning, have more vitamin C and uh-huh. um, get, re- get regular exercise and get vaccinated and vaccine will do this and this, but we're not sure what else it does. You know, it's, I, and, and I got, I got, uh, I don't know why we're going down this uh, rabbit hole. You know why? Cause we just go down there, but it's like the new variant came out and all of a sudden all the nodding heads are going, Oh good. Now you really got to get your booster. And I'm like, you didn't know what this new variant was when the vaccine was created. Can you explain to me why the booster is going to help this new variant? And it's just like, no one wants to talk about that. It's just like, don't be so sure of everything. Go, this will help because of this. We didn't know, but here's why. And then I'm like, ah, oh, reasonable conversation. That's what's gone. Reasonable conversation. Sometimes it's really reassuring to be lied to. <laughs> I, I was, I was lied to in a religion for over 20 years and, it's, and it was, it was reassuring at the time and I'm still in therapy for it. <laughs> 
Anyway, so so what so what else is going on? You, you um uh, you're you're you got the new book out. You're working full time. They're working you to the bone. What are you going to grad school for? Social work. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then what does that lead to? But but what but what's the scope of social work? Because I social I mean, is, does it lead to um, like like individual counseling or does it lead to? It can, it can also lead to macro public policy. It can lead to um, working with families and children. It can work with veterans. I mean, yes, it does navigation of social systems and also personal support and therapy and. So, so what, so what's, what are you looking for as your goal when you get, when you get out, when you get the degree? Um, everyone says it's changes while you're in school. I mean, I came in after a decade of working with people who arguably have the least in society who are on the streets um, and who have either, either physical, um, psychiatric or substance use challenges happening and sometimes all three and trying to help them find a way up a little bit in their mm -hmm. lives and my favorite people to work with are people with severe mental illness um i speak mental illness apparently i i can find connection pretty quickly for whatever reason with people with psychosis so and i enjoy them is it um is it is there a um is it is it because you have you have an empath empathetic nature, or is it because we all can we all can get to that point in our lives, or we can all have that tweak in our brains that can really, you know, it's it doesn't take much for life to throw us the the you know the hard stuff, the hard the, the hard things. I think both of those. Yeah. Actually, um, I. The more, the longer I work in the field, the longer I see people whose children threw them up because they didn't have room anymore, or people who got priced out of the the Bayview and couldn't find somewhere else, and you know, exhausted the people whose couches they were on. Um, I think that I think that the people who I work for are the most resilient, most strong, most creative people I've ever met. And obviously some of the most troubled too, but they're survivors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, <clears throat> well, surviving is kind of this whole game, right? It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the arc of our, uh, it's, a, it's the arc of our life narrative, uh, the struggle and the survival um but it's so you've seen firsthand people like kicked out of uh places in bayview and stuff when like, i i haven't been to the bayview district in probably 25 years and i would i don't even know what it looks like now is is it a is there a lot more condo residential and development happening or there is i mean there are lofts up there I mean, really? for many years, yeah, there are lofts up there and art of spaces and there's a, yeah, hmm. there's stuff. There's stuff. It, it, it's crazy. And, and it's, <clears throat> you know, it's, I, I guess one of the, 
one of the you know arguments would be like, well, people can just move to another city, but what people don't understand is your community is your community. It's not uh, upping and moving to another city is not an option when you've spent your whole life with essentially what is your tribe and what you and what you know and the bus, you know the bus uh, lines, you know you know it's it's really hard to exactly. go to a new place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what, so what have you, what have you experienced where you've seen someone like able to use the services and get to um, a place where they're like, they, they have a home and they actually can survive again. Are you, are you able to witness the, um, the, uh, the, the victories in your work? Yeah. I mean, it's not all sugar and halos and not everybody is able at face value to sustain what you would like for them to have happened, but people tend to live up. Sorry, my cat. People <laughs> like to live up. People tend to live up to their circumstances. So even you know, so people in stabilization housing um, are able to shower suddenly, you know, on a regular basis, and that that can be transformative. And people in permanent supportive housing, when they don't have to worry about where where they're going to sleep. You know, a lot of them thrive. And even if, you know, they are, they have challenges to their mental health that mean that they're not going to be able to hold work. Sometimes they volunteered. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot more to life than scraping for survival. Yeah. And um, people have a chance to work on their behavioral issues when they're inside. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Lost Pit. Oh my God! Is it you've had her for years, right? Yeah, she's she's sixteen and a half. Yeah, I remember you naming your cat Mosh Pit. That's hilarious. Hi, Mosh Pit. That, does she have yellow eyes? Yeah. Well, well, uh, well, we're acknowledging you, so we hope it's okay. <laughs> you know, just it's so it's it's, it's it's some of it's like dignity. Just to, if people if people can have the dignity to wash themselves and just change of clothes, that can change life because you can go and present yourself to get work or present yourself to just be. You know, it's it's so strange how. I mean, my mind is, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around life, so much life stuff, you know, and how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us and the, <clears throat> just what, you know, and how, how it's funny. I'm in, so I'm in Los Angeles, you know, I live like right by Los Feliz and being, you know, living in San Francisco in the Tenderloin in the Mission District. When I walk around my backpack, I always still put a strap around my leg if I'm at a cafe or even at a restaurant, I'll have a strap wrapped around my leg. But in LA, people leave their computers at tables and walk away and come back <laughs> where I'm at. I'm like, but I still can't, I still can't shake that it would be my fault if somebody took my bag if I didn't have it wrapped around my leg. What were you thinking going out dressed like that? Dressed like what? It's the, the rape thing. What were you thinking about? What were you thinking going oh. out like that? Oh, we went to rape. <laughs> you gotta, Daphne, you got to tell me what we're going from burglary to rape. <laughs> keep up, Tony. Keep up. Keep up. I know. I know. But yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, um, 
it's just like a reflex I have. And then, but it's, it's funny because it's a ref, it's a San Francisco reflex and, and other San Franciscans who live in Los Angeles, they kind of, they have the same weird habits where they would never leave a computer sitting at a table and go to the restroom. And it's just like, and, and you know, when, when I first came down here, I'm like, I think I need to teach them a lesson <laughs> and I need a new computer. You know, those thoughts go through my head and I'm like, I don't act out on them, but, um, but yeah, and then the uh, what, and then you brought it to rape. So let's discuss rape. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I mean, rape is violence, so it, it's, it's terrible. Okay, well, no, let me let me. You don't. You seem very surprised by the question. So you said that <laughs> if, if it happened, you think it was going to be your fault. Yes, and that is a very common reaction. To rape and that's what i was reacting to oh okay right so yeah because i was i was saying am i like yeah i would it's uh yeah i i get it like well i someone so i got ripped off uh from cryptocurrency um of several thousand dollars this last year and um and it was hard because i was a victim but i also wasn't um on guard i was i let my guard down and it happened i had to go through all these emotions because uh, i felt victimized i lost a lot of money and i was fortunate you know part of me was fortunate to have that money and at the same time it's so my mind was kind of blown at how did i fall for that and um and i'm still grappling with uh i am the person who let my guard down but these people were predatory and did what they did um and yeah, I know it's uh, that's something to. It gets, I guess, it gets complicated when 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 there's bad people out there. I don't know. What do you think? Was that a bad reaction to rape? <laughs> that I brought in my cryptocurrency analogy. So. Have you seen like this new thing where like when you die, they can bury you under a tree. They make like this egg of you. No, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So you become food for the tree. Oh, no, no, no. I want to take up as much space as possible when I die. <laughs> I, I, I want a very large casket and a monument. But what was so is that is that your is that your plan to be food for the tree? I think that would be a good plan. I probably can't afford it, but I think it's a good plan. Why wouldn't you be able to be a what you're giving food to a tree? You have to pay money to do that. Yeah, I'm so, sure so, everything everything costs money. So this so this actual honorable deed to contribute to the earth is a business. Oh yeah. So it, it sounds a little, it sounds a little douchey. <laughs> what, you pay to be in a graveyard? I know, well, I'm going to pay a lot of money to be in a graveyard, but I'll be douchey about It'll it. You'll be cremated. I, I'm the person that's wrong. <laughs> if, if, if I was doing something good for the earth, then I would think I would want a little bit of like, look, I'm, I'm tree food. And if I'm going to be tree food, I, I you know, I, I want to be, Maybe I don't even maybe not want to be recognized, but I don't want to pay. 
How much do you know how much that costs? Now I gotta look up and see how much that costs. Does it really? Sure. Oh my god, I'm gonna get taxidermied and I'm gonna I'm gonna like I'm gonna buy a glass, I'm gonna buy a small retail space that has glass out that has a you know the the and I want I'm gonna be taxidermied naked and I'm gonna have that space for 70 years and everyone's gonna have to see my dead taxidermied body. And it'll be cheaper than an egg for food for a tree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a maximalist when it comes to death. Minimalist in life, maximalist in death. How do you feel about legacy? How do you feel about like, I I I mean, for me, like writing, I feel, um, I feel like we're, you know, we're trying to continue the conversation now but it's also our our words are going to be uh, with us after we're after we're tree food. On good days, I feel like that. I guess I guess it doesn't really matter if anyone reads them or not. They're out there. Yeah. Ow! 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 Mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's it's uh. Do you ever feel like no one's reading you? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that weird? And then and then once in a while you get a read someone goes, Oh, I read this or I saw this, and it's just like uh oh I forgot there's a thing. Definitely. Once in a while out of the blue, I'll get like a fan letter. And it's like, it's like sending out a message in a bottle, and once in a while you get you get the bottle back with a coconut. Yeah, it's I I when I'm with my uh, novel students. I all the first quarter novel students I have, I always make them write. I say, "Who's your favorite author?" And then I make them write a fan letter. I'm like, "Have you written them a fan letter?" And they're like, "No." And I'm like, "What are you waiting for? <laughs> Send them a note." <laughs> Wait, and now mosh pit goes away. <laughs> so did Daphne. All right. Now she's coming back. <laughs> she has something in her hands. Oh, is it? Oh, are you back? I, oh, I remember when you quit smoking. Uh, I remember when you quit smoking and we were at the elbow room and we were hanging out. And um, and I said something. Um, I forgot what I said, but I always remember this, that you said, if I ever started smoking again, it would be Marble Reds. It's, there's no other cigarette, essentially. Is well, it still- it's Red Label. Yeah, it's still red. I've I had a marble red once, and it tasted so good that I never will have a, another one again. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this just hit every single pleasure sense in my body. Take this away from me, because that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gearing up to quit next week, so I'm trying to enjoy the fuck out of them this week. Well, um, and and what's your uh, what's your plan to uh? to uh quit oh it's a a prescription yeah 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 it's um i've heard like wabuton works as well it's uh it's it's so intriguing what our brain takes as like the pleasure the, the 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 pain pleasure and it and we can just uh there's ways to tweak it scientifically and yeah Neurotransmitters. 
What's that? Neurotransmitters. Right, right, exactly. How how much have you been smoking? Did you did you like go like to a pack a day or are you a little lighter? I'm not I'm not discussing that. It's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. I don't feel good about it and I don't really want to talk about it. Well, that's good. Well, part of that's good because that means it will probably be uh, good for quitting. If you're not feeling good about it, then. Shame is, shame is good. Working in a hospital and smoking is, is a really, really good reminder not to smoke. So. Yeah. That, yeah. Have you seen, do you see a lot of cancer there too? Some. Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of everything. How do you how do you uh, decompress from a day at a hospital? Because I, I I've only been to the hospital as a patient multiple times, and it feels like if I worked there, I would I would probably have a breakdown every single night. I kind of have two answers to that. One is that the patients who I work for are again hilarious, strong, um, funny, demanding, um, horrible, you know, but they, it, it's, it's about working together for that day. And I really appreciate that. And the other side of it is I go to grad school. Like I, I don't have a break. I get off of work and I go to grad school. So, so I don't know how I just keep moving. When, when are you set to graduate? In a year. Cool. Yeah. And then, and then, um, and then, and, you, and by then you'll have your solid idea of where you're going to take your degree. Cause that'll, that'll give you access to other situations and jobs or. Good God, I hope so. Yeah. And then also, uh, is, is it also uh, something that creates policy kind of thing? You can go like, is it? Be, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll see, I'll see you um, on uh, the, the, you know, those channels where they, where you're uh, in, in politics I'll, and I'll say, I knew you when. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Is it? No. Oh, okay. It's not a political thing. Um... It can be. I mean, right now in, in San Francisco, you know, Department of Homeless and uh, Supportive Housing is, 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 a beast, you know, they're, they're rocking and rolling and trying to get things in place. So that's, there are a lot of social workers that work there. Do you think, do you, I mean, do you think in the end that there will be resolution or do you feel like the powers are just so against us um, when it comes to it? Um. <coughs> I think that it is probably going to take some sort of federal aid. Um, I think that we're going to have to think states' boundaries because a lot of people come to San Francisco from other places because they've heard that we have services here. Um, but I also think it's going to take a lot of housing and a lot of support. And I don't think it's impossible but I think there is also going to need to be the recognition that there are people who would rather live in RVs, who would rather live on the street, and that's how they want to live. Um, 
but they yeah. should have the option. And then, and then have support for that where it's not support where it's like, here, we're giving you this and they can't even fathom living within four walls because that is like death to them. Is that the case? Yeah. Giving people what they need versus what you think they need is right. the key. Yeah. Give someone a hamburger and they're like, I'm vegan. <laughs> this doesn't work. You sound like you're busy. How do you get a, how do you get books out of this? How, how, how did you write? How did you write your, how did, did you find time to write while you're working? And I don't, I wrote it before I started school. Oh, did you? Yep. Oh, cool. And then you typed the end and then you went, um, and then you went to your first class. <laughs> That's right. Oh, That's so we're, pretty much how it happened. So we're not going to get another book from you for a while. That would be true. Yeah. That'd be absolutely true. Yeah. Cool. Anything else going on? Yeah. Just just keeping it up in San Francisco, keeping the San Francisco Mission District alive. Yeah. I miss the mission. I think when you come back, you'll find it's not the same place that you left. Is Cafe La- is Cafe La Boheme on 24th Street still open? I actually don't know. Last I knew it was, but the yeah. pandemic has changed a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Man, I remember probably 20 years ago, they had this was the this was this was the best thing in my life, probably ever. And um for $4.95, it was a salmon with lox, cream cheese, onions, everything, coffee, free refills, $4.95. Do you know what that does to a writer? It makes them stay for hours. <laughs> they up the they up they up the they up it to like six ninety five after a while, and I'm like, it's you're still doing good. It's still worth it. Thank you. That was my favorite cafe. I think in the end, after all the cafes that I hung out in, in San Francisco, there there was something about La Boheme that. Um, just it just had a it had such a cool cultural vibe you know what do you have a cafe these days or no i don't leave the house (laughs) oh yeah that's right i keep forgetting i know i got a small cafe that's um around the corner from me that they changed their hours but he stayed he kept it open during covid i'm like i'm like wow good for you a uh, guy from Venezuela who is now, uh, yeah, he, he works his butt off. I work in cafes. I get so distracted. Um, I, it's white noise to me. And then the other thing is um, I, when I work there, I'm uh, handwriting or bringing edits. I never bring a computer. I, I hate computers at cafes. It's it, it has disgusted me ever since it started happening. And um and then, um, so most of it's kind of white noise and, pe- and people irritating me. And I, and I tend to be generally irritable and I work well when I'm irritable. And then um, also listening in on conversations um, that irritate me, kind of crack me up because I'm irritated over benign things. So I think uh, for me, 
I kind of feel like it uh, brings up a little bit of comedy and absurdity in who I am as a person for being uh, that disgusted. And then it kind of makes it way my, its way into uh, whatever I'm working on. And I think that's kind of been the motive. I've, it, that's been my formula for uh, many years. Um, I need to be a little, um, a little uncomfortable, a little irritated. And, and then it's, and at the same time, I'm in the zone. You can't I, you know, I was just at a cafe for an hour writing and, um, and it was, it's, it was, it's an outdoor cafe next to this, like really posh. Oh my God. I live, I live in this area. They put this really posh restaurant. Um, it's called found oyster. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it, to go there for lunch, it, it'll cost you 200 bucks. And, and it's just hilarious because it doesn't cater to our neighborhood at all. Nobody can afford that place in our neighborhood. So it's all these people coming to like slum it, you know, it's just like, oh, let's go to the dirty, dark place. <laughs> it's just, so I'm at this cafe, you know, with my $3 coffee and handwriting and all the families are coming in and it's just, it's, you know, I'm not even mad at it. 20 years ago, I'd be so mad at it. Now I just look at it. I'm like, it's just, just such a unique social disconnect that I'm 10 feet away from these people and they're paying like $200 to sit down and consume. And I'm paying, you know, well, I paid seven bucks today because I got a croissant with my coffee and, and we're sharing kind of the same thing and I'm having almost just as much fun. But, um, you know, they would never come to the cafe and do the same thing. They have to go to this oyster place. <laughs> Yeah, things that used to make me mad, like in the Mission District in San Francisco. I remember if I saw a Hummer, I would kick it. <laughs> remember the Hummers that came in the oh, like. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And I remember the assaults on the Google buses and oh, all of it. Yeah, I know. There's a Google that the, by the time the assaults on the Google buses happened is when I was starting to get, I think, more empathy in my life because I felt, you know, it's like no, I don't want all uh, tech to take over the Mission District, but. I also don't want people to be like harassed who don't know what's going on. You know, I think a lot of those, I think a lot of those people were kind of in the middle of, wait, I just came here and I don't understand. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. I try to understand, but you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot the Google buses and the people stopping them. Sometimes I'm just like, I just want to write. I don't want to get in on that. What do you think, Daphne? I think maybe it's time to move to the country. Are you really? No. No, you're staying in that SF. I'm really tired of the city and politics and. Right. But then you move to the country and then you get tired of the, those politics too, right? I mean, everywhere's got a problem. That's true. I just don't get enough nature in my life, I think. Even though I kind of hate nature. <laughs> That's I, hate go, I hate people who go to nature. <laughs> That's why you're a great writer. <laughs> it's a it's the solid dissatisfaction. <laughs> no, there's there's never going to be a way to satisfy you, but get it on the page. Is, is that did I just figure it all out? Yep, you got it. <laughs> How do you feel this interview went, Daphne? I thought it would be more about books, but it's, it is such a pleasure to talk to you that 
it doesn't matter. I know. It's so great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Daphne Gottlieb on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, Saint 1001. Next week on the show, we have David Leo Rice. He's the author of Drifter. Books are everything, so fill your soul with books, as well as your family and friends. Give the gift of a book during the holiday. It might just change someone's life. I'll see you next week on the show. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.
each other Neither one's complaining He says I'm sorry but I'm out of KY jelly <laughs> Never mind sugar, we can catch the early movie Jerkers. Niggas step back, it's the lyrical worker The points that I create ain't in paperback books The points that I create are for hookers in the crooks My mental is excelling cause I dabble in the books I'm not the one in the front on, so sub up, sub ups Yo, I guess the pickings, I'm such a damn dickens If this step to this, then the block just thickens I run you around the track like a bunny and a dog To me, you're just another MC on the wall A link in the chain, fluid on the brain I boast of hype lyrics, and yours are mundane See, I can't maintain, especially if you come back I'm the lyrical master blaster, yeah, I could do that 
I can also do your girl, so leave the hoe at home Cause when I get done, I have a strong arm bones It's the no joke pressure that elevates my mind Make me pick up and go when it's time to drop my rhymes My title is Rock, the abstract poetic I'm in the idle mode, but my energy's kinetic So smooth and debonair, special for the air Gotta keep my thing in gear, cause it's evident and clear That I will rock on the rock Against the wall, always waiting in 